Hello, and you're listening to a special episode of GradCast. We are the official radio show for the Society of Graduate Students. I'm Tanya. And I'm Navneet. And we're normally here on Tuesdays, but we're joining you uh, for a special time because we have a really special team here with us for the second time. So we'd like to welcome the team from the Center for Planetary Science and Exploration. Welcome. Hello, thank you. Um, So just for everyone to know, we actually are, I didn't count before, we've got four guests here with us today, plus two of our hosts and our awesome producer. Hey guys. So it's nice and stuffy, but we're super excited. So going to hand it over to you guys to introduce yourselves to us. Hi, uh, my name is Matt. I'm a uh, graduate student in the Center of Planetary Sciences and Exploration. I am the mission executive for this year's uh, high-altitude balloon mission. Hi, my name is uh, Liam Minnis, and I'm the administrative executive for the mission this year. Uh, hello, my name is Gavin Tolometti, and I am the science lead for the high-altitude balloon project for this year. Hi, my name is Alexis Pasquale, and I'm in the Electronics and Computer Engineering Department, and I am the engineering team lead for this mission. All right, so I bet everybody's wondering this, what mission? Right, okay, so this mission, quote-unquote, is uh, what we're trying to do is we're trying to send a weather balloon up to near space. Um, So they're often called radiosonde balloons or high-altitude balloons. uh, you may have heard of Google's Project Loon, where they're sending up this weather balloon that st- that stands that stays in the atmosphere for a while, and it um, what uh, the, the purpose of that project was was to send Wi-Fi to people on Earth. Uh, but ours is of the type that will go up into the atmosphere and then burst at a certain altitude, and then come back down having a recorded uh, number of measurements. And if I may ask, does do you control when it bursts, or does it burst on its own? Right, so the burst happens when uh, there's very low pressure in the atmosphere and the balloon expands to a point where it can no longer um, hold that form and it pops and then it comes back down to Earth and a parachute deploys and that slows its velocity down to a safe, uh, a safe velocity. So let's try to visualize this balloon. What does it look like? Uh, so yeah, it's a, it's a little off-white latex balloon. Uh, we're going to fill it with 185 cubic feet of helium. Uh, which is the capacity of about 70 mini fridges. And then (laughs) once we let it go, it'll ascend it, uh, let's say, on the order of 10 meters per second, um, up to 30 kilometers, hopefully. And does it sort of just go straight up, or like how does it get launched, I guess? Is it like a rocket? Like What does it look like? I like to think it'll be as exciting as a rocket launch, but Mm -hmm. uh, probably not. Uh, You'll just let it go and... Like a party balloon, it'll just float up, and then uh, wherever the prevailing winds take it is where we'll have to go get it at the end. Interesting. Okay, so Matt, you had mentioned that the balloon is being sent up to make a few measurements. Um, could you could you tell us what what are you measuring over here? Yeah, so we're sending up a suite of measure, a suite of instruments that are supposed to take um, measurements of a few atmospheric conditions, so things like temperature, pressure, humidity. We're sending up a UV sensor and a Geiger counter. Um, and I believe that's about it. It was some uh, gas measurements as well, looking at uh, greenhouse gases. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to uh, constrain what kind of environment we have in the atmosphere and how it changes with altitude, and then eventually construct a hypothesis as to how that environment may affect the development of microbial organisms in the, up- in the upper atmosphere. 
First question. One yeah. of those words you said, a gag- gagger... A Geiger counter? Thank you. What is that? <laughs> right. Okay. Sorry. So a Geiger counter detects uh, the type, the radiation, uh, the amounts of radiation that are uh, penetrating through the atmosphere. So theoretically, the higher you get, yeah, like that. Okay. So theoretically, the higher you get in the atmosphere, and uh, the more radiation you'll receive as the uh, there's less atmosphere protecting you from that radiation. All right. And then the next one, you said a few terms of what you'll be measuring up there. So, uh, sorry, the potential um, micro, or you didn't say organism, micro, yeah, oh, organism. All yeah. right, microorganisms. Yeah. What kind of microorganisms are we talking about? So I'll, I'll turn it over to Gavin and I'll let him answer that as he's the science team lead. Well, at this point, uh, we cannot really identify any particular species that we find up in the atmosphere. I mean, there's been a lot of background readings from past high altitude balloon project missions, and they've always detected a wide variety, mainly bacteria and fungi that have been able to survive in the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. So our goal, our main goal for hopefully next year would be to collect some of these bio, bio microorganisms and bring them down and be able to identify them in the lab. So at this point, it's all um, a little bit of a mystery, but that's kind of what makes it more exciting. That's that's very exciting. So it's um, So you kind of said when you introduced yourself this, the mission for this year. So is, does this happen annually? And then is, does it kind of expand each year? So um, what does that mean? Okay, so yeah, well, what, uh, the, the goal of this, this high altitude balloon project is um, that it becomes something that is repeated on an annual basis, uh, supported by the Center of Planetary Sciences and Exploration. Um, so this is our first of uh, a number of future missions. And so, like, like kind of what you were just mentioning, then maybe next year you'd expand on what you would find this year. Correct. Yeah, that is the whole idea of this year. We would use the data we'd collect from this launch, and it will build on our science hypotheses for the next launch and actually hopefully support the data we could find in the next launch. That's really interesting. And so... Um, all four of you kind of, you mentioned your leads and different roles that you have. Um, could you maybe tell us a little bit about the team and your specific role as well? All right. So uh, as the mission executive, it's my responsibility to make sure that uh, we get, um, we're, we're within, we're, we're operating within the law. So we're not, uh, we're not going to somebody's property without permission to launch. We're making sure that our balloon was, is uh, within the right, uh, is launching from the right area, has the right size restriction and so on. Um, as well, it's my responsibility to make sure we recruit the team and to construct a proposal for the project for each year. Okay. As the uh, administrative executive, uh, it's my job uh, to kind of organize the, uh, the teams um, at the get-go. And then now that we're a little more underway, I kind of just try and plug holes wherever I find them and see where I can pitch in. And uh, as a science lead, uh, after I recruited my science team, we had to sit down for a couple of meetings to think of what science hypotheses we were going to use. We would then introduce them to our engineering team, and they would immediately give us the restrictions or <laughs> shut down any hypotheses we had <laughs> oh, when we nice. said, oh, can we have this equipment? Can we have this instrument? And they would immediately go like, too heavy, too powerful, that's too expensive, and... I, that's all. That's always the process for any mission. You always have to have a clear communication with the engineering team, or else nothing gets done. And well, the engineering team is basically fulfilling what the science team wants without going too overboard, right? Keep keeping them grounded, essentially, right? So we are tasked with building this payload with realistic 
uh, with re- realistic materials, realistic um, equipment, and you know, just giving them the measurements they need while keeping within the confines of the um, balloon capacities. So, I mean, and you're all graduate students doing this, right? And so are you from different years and programs, and do you have other students on your teams? Yeah, so all of us uh, on the ex- the executive team here are, are graduate students. Yeah. Um, but within some of the uh, other, uh, some of our the sub teams, like the engineering team and the science team, there are also undergraduate students. And yeah, we're all from different uh, departments, and we all have different uh, um, nuances to our career path and uh, our degree. Um, most of us in the on the uh, science team and the current executive team are in earth sciences, but there's also engineers, uh, people in physics and astronomy, people in biology, and we're hoping to diversify that with future iterations of this mission. So we want to get people from education to come in and help uh, with outreach and trying to take the science that we do and spread it out to people who may not know uh, very much about what planetary science is or how it can help them or why it's important for us to look into. I'd just like to jump in here and say that uh, our team also uh, can is made up of CPSX members and non-CPSX members. Uh, so if you're hearing this at home, you think it might be something you'd like to get involved with next year. Um, some of us are coming back next year, so reach out to Matt maybe, and uh, we can make that happen for you, no problem. Yeah, and maybe towards the end of the show, we'll ask you how to contact all of you. So everyone can reach out to you because I'm sure there's a lot of people even if they have questions because this sounds very exciting and even through this conversation um, everyone kind of jumps in with their their role and the the knowledge that you're bringing to this interdisciplinary team which is amazing okay well you had mentioned uh, about the lawful restrictions that you have on this mission could you expand on that a little more yeah, so there are two jurisdictions that we operate in. Um, one is specifically with Transport Canada, and the other is uh, Transport Canada's office in Ottawa, which is relating to Nav Canada. Um, so our balloon exceeds 115, uh, the volume of the balloon exceeds 115 square feet. So that takes us outside of Transport Canada's jurisdiction. We have to deal with people who are working in uh, the, the, the office in Ottawa. Um, we also have to make sure, you know, there are no dangerous goods on our payload, which obviously there, won't, there aren't and there won't be. Um, we have to work within a certain uh, mass uh, restriction, so you know the balloon's not descending at a unsafe velocity. We all have to make sure that um, we have our, our radio licensing. We have somebody on our team who has uh, the ability to. So I think I'll, I'll, I'll turn it over to Alexis to, to better answer this question. I think he has a better understanding of what uh, the radio licensing, uh, how the radio licensing works. Yep. So remember, this uh, balloon we have to track it, right? And we have to know where it is. And so included in the payload is a GPS and a radio transmitter. Now, not everyone can just send something up and transmit something down, right? So we need to have a license for that. And we have someone in our our team, in in the engineering team, that has the radio license required uh, for that kind of thing. So, again, that's one of the requirements uh, for for this mission. So all the kids who send their balloons up at their birthday don't have a license for that. So note to everyone (laughs) out there. If they're not. Transmitting a radio signal going. There we go. Committing illegal actions. (laughs) (laughs) One more thing, if you could just touch on maybe the flight termination, because that also has to do with uh, safety and international, avoiding international incidents and not landing in a lake. So that's uh, that's all comes down to our flight termination, which is also something that is produced by the engineering team. Right. So remember earlier you asked about how the balloon would come down. Well, we have something in the payload that would control something like that. 
if we let's say the balloon is drifting towards the lake and the balloon because the balloon knows that right it has a gps on its payload we will have a flight termination unit where the wires to the balloon would be cut off and then the balloon would go down after that so we can control when this happens and where this happens and so that makes sure that we are not one uh, landing on a lake and two that we are not crossing the border and so um, on mission day, where are you? So, like, how are you tracking this balloon? Are you in the lab? Are you on the field? What's happening? The, the way I'd imagine it is once we launch, we have a preset um, path on where the balloon is hopefully going to go. We have a prediction on where it's going to go. So we are going to follow that prediction. And, well, since we are going to receive the GPS signals from the balloon in real time, then we'd know exactly where it is. So we'd follow it uh, real time as well. And so when it lands, then hopefully we'd be there within maybe a few minutes, half hour maybe within the balloon landing, then we'd be there to retrieve it. Mm-hmm. And so how long does this entire process take? So from going up to coming down approximately? The total flight time would be somewhere close to three hours, maybe so- somewhere beyond. But uh, the ascent f- the time, the time from launch into the balloon popping would be somewhere around two hours, two and a half hours. And the balloon would come down in maybe an hour or s- somewhere close to that. And then based on just what you were saying with the GPS tracking, do you envision it landing a lot further from where it was launched from? Can you predict that? or? Well, the funny thing is, right, we've run... A, f- a few sample uh, predict flight path predictions in th- for the past couple of weeks. And, well, some of the predictions say that the balloon is going to land somewhere in Ottawa. Now, that <laughs> is unrealistic, right? Well, that's, what, 600 kilometers away? And, well, it's probably impossible for the balloon to travel that fast, yeah, right? Three hours, three 600 hours. kilometers. Yeah. And, and some of the predictions say that it was it's going to cross over the border or land in a lake. So we, we are trying to avoid that. Mm. Uh, ideally, what we're going to do is to follow a flight, uh, sorry, a, la- a launch time or and a launch date that the prediction says that will land in a safe, safe place, basically. Yeah, we have to give notice to Nav Canada within 48 hours of the launch. So we'll basically just be looking at the weather forecast and running this flight simulator. And then once we get a trajectory, a flight path that keeps us on dry land and on Canadian soil, it's going to be all, all hands on deck and we'll make it happen. Yes, absolutely. So what are the ideal conditions that you'd be looking for? Uh, prevailing winds towards the, uh, the northeast and hopefully slow so we don't have to drive as far. <laughs> yes, <laughs> just those yeah. two conditions. <laughs> yeah. I like a, a lack of rain is always good. So does does the weather then, if, you know, also in London, Ontario, our weather is not the most predictable, does it decide your date for launch or you go rain or shine? No, it absolutely decides our date for launch. So <laughs> we're, we're planning on uh, uh, best case scenario launching April 12th, but we're prepared to launch every day after that day for up till around the 19th. And then maybe we'll, we'll, we'll discuss other solutions if still at that point we can't launch. All right. All right. So... You seem to have a bracket of days. So is it possible for people to watch this? Is it possible for people to tune in and watch this at any place? 
Um, we're, we're working on uh, developing a solution for that, so we're thinking of doing like a Facebook live stream of the of the launch. But obviously, we can't have people driving all the way out to our launch location. It's 45 minutes north of here. Um, so I think uh, what, what what we're going to focus on is a Facebook uh, live stream for now, and then see what else we can develop in uh, future iterations of the mission. So. Tell me about what it's like for you guys the night before your mission. What are what's happening, and then the day of the mission? Walk us through it. What's that like? Maybe each of you want to take your role. What's it like for the engineer, for the scientist, for the uh, Earth science? What happens? Well, for the engineering team, before the day of the launch, ideally we'd have all things ready, right? We've got the balloon ready. We've got the parachute ready. Ready. We've got the payload ready, and so once we are actually in the launch site, we just have to load up the uh, balloon with helium, power up the computers, make sure everything's running, make sure we're transmitting GPS signals, and then uh, we'd be good to go. All right. Yeah, so launch day is very engineering heavy. Um, my job as administration, at the, as the uh, mini, uh, mission executive, sorry, um, is to make sure that I'm on the phone and, and uh, make sure that uh, Nav Canada is aware that we've uh, acquired our uh, it's called a NOTAM or no tap notice to airmen or air persons, um, and that uh, I'm making sure we keep an open line of communications to uh, Nav Canada and Transport Canada as to when we've launched, when the balloon is burst, and when we're going to retrieve it and where it's uh, where it's landed. I'd say, for, yeah, the, the engineering team would have probably most of the stress the night before the lunch. The only stress I know I will probably have is making sure that none of the equipments fail because then I don't get data. And then the <laughs> only thing I have is to get angry at the engineering team, and no one really wants that. <laughs> it's okay. They sent you the roadblocks before. Now they take the pressure on the day of. Yeah, I'll probably just uh, try and see where and when I can help out and cross both my fingers and <laughs> be nervous for everyone so they can focus on doing their jobs. So engineering, you, you're, you've got the day of responsibility. So now leading up, so these few weeks what are you all working on what are you doing experiments or well right now the engineering team is testing everything that's going on the payload so we're testing the sensors we're testing the transmitter the gps um, gps module or the computers that is going on the payload uh, and also we are going to test the parachute the structural integrity of the payload and um, basically making sure that the payload works in harsh conditions. Hmm. Uh, so leading up to the launch this uh, next few weeks, that is basically our task, uh, building and testing. All right. Uh, the main task, I think, for the science team is at the moment is to find the best way to calibrate some of the instruments. I've already looked at some of the raw data from a pressure, temperature, and humidity, and everything seems to check out at the moment. We have been trying to find the best ways to calibrate our greenhouse gas sensors, and I've been recently being told someone in the biology department to ask about carbon dioxide. Our methane and ozone will be a bit trickier, but hopefully the same contact might be able to point me in the right direction. Yeah. Over on that side, or leading up to the event, what are you two kind of working on? Right, yeah, sorry, leading up to the event, um, my job, um, again, is just making sure we have all our bases covered in terms of legality, so making sure we attain, obtain our uh, notice to airmen, like I said earlier. Um, that doesn't really change very much for me. I'm still, I'm still kind of making sure we're operating within the bounds of the law, and uh, my responsibilities um, 
up to the point where we actually launch don't extend far beyond that. I got one pretty big thing coming up. Uh, I got to order the helium, <laughs> uh, but that's uh, that's that's the main one right there. Uh, all right. <laughs> so, um, just a hypothetical situation. What happens if this payload lands on my roof? Right. Okay. So, say, <laughs> say, say our, our payload comes plummeting down from the upper atmosphere and everything goes wrong and it lands on your roof, we're very sorry. Um, <laughs> of our deepest apologies, but uh, we, we have made sure that there is an insurance policy in place to make sure that we're covered, that there will be um, funding available to cover the damages if, if that happens. And if it does land on your roof, make sure you contact us. We need that payload <laughs> <Yeah>. back. <laughs> it has all my data. <laughs> uh, speaking of all your data, so how does this turn into thesis projects for all of you? What what happens in that process? So actually, it, this isn't uh, something that's related to our thesis project okay. at all. But, um, you know, maybe moving forward in a, in a couple of years, maybe it will be somebody's thesis project, like an honors thesis or maybe a master's thesis. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but right now, it's not really within the scope of the project. So fingers crossed, moving forward, it could expand to something like that. Yeah. And is that the same for everybody on the team? Or? No, I completely agree. Yeah, maybe in a couple of years like two, three years probably, uh, some of the science we can collect, some of the experience designed. It, it could be used for a master's or an undergrad um, thesis project. So then how, how did you get involved with it at this point then? Uh, I think I uh, should probably let uh, Liam answer that here. Uh, we went to a conference. It was uh, the Ascension Conference in Toronto uh, last February. And um, going to hearing all these talks from industry people and academia people, we got inspired and we were thinking we should probably uh, do something um, of our own volition and try and make something happen. So as far as getting to space or near space, um, a balloon is pretty much the, the easiest way to go. So we figured we'd start there and then maybe uh, bootstrap in, in future years uh, have more and more ambitious projects, maybe working towards a CubeSat project uh, for our CPSX. Uh, sorry, a CubeSat project? Yeah, that's a, uh, a small satellite. They're about 10 centimeters in each dimension, um, and they go up um, a whole bunch of them at a time, piggybacking on some uh, rocket launch, and then they have like a limited instrument suite that they will perform. So they're, uh, they're used for a lot of different things, environmental monitoring, um, land use, yeah. All right, so that's awesome, and I think it's great for grad students who are listening to hear that, you know, we're more than our thesis. We can get involved with some really cool things, especially if we have the in interest and the drive for it. Um, as we're coming to the end of our show, can you please tell us if we want to learn more, if we want to follow you, um, you spoke about Facebook, where can we go? Uh, yeah, I, I, I remember mentioning uh, sorry, earlier in our talk that uh, we were considering in the future reaching out to like education students. I just want to say that, uh, you know, not just education, I was just thinking in terms of outreach, but um, as well in um, things like microbiology and immunology, we didn't get uh, anybody coming to us for out of interest. So it'd be good to expand to, to uh, that department as well as a department like geography, for example, because that'd be really good for, you know, that's a pretty obvious like earth observation 
uh, style of research that could be done by geography students. Um, as far as uh, reaching out to further through social media, uh, we're also trying to get uh, a Twitter hashtag going. So hashtag Western, I believe it's Western UHAB or we're, 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 we're working on it. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It would have been good to have some social media ready before this, um, but uh, there'll be a link. Maybe a social media rep on the team too for future missions. That's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah, so if you're interested in learning more, uh, make sure to come check us out at uh, cpsx.uwo.ca. Also, if you're interested in contacting uh, the team or me personally, you can uh, reach me at uh, msvenss at uwo.ca. That's my Western email. Uh, yeah, don't hesitate to, co- to reach out if you have any questions. Awesome. You can also uh, follow uh, CPSX on Twitter at uh, WesternUCPSX. So, thank you so much uh, for joining us here today. Do you want to add anything, Nav? Or? Mm, well, just keep an eye out on the sky. <laughs> third week of April. Mm-hmm. Second week, third week of April. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much again. Um, this was a special episode for our GradCast, uh, but we are on every Tuesday at 6 o'clock on Radio Western. Um, but if you want to catch up on any of our past episodes, even this team here, they've been here before. So if you'd like to find the older episode, uh, you can find us on iTunes and Podbean. Um, we are always looking for guests on our show. So if you'd like to join us and share your research or something really cool that you're also doing, please email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. And finally, Follow our GradCast team on our social media. We are on Instagram, and we're on Facebook, and we're on Twitter. We'd love to hear from you. Love to have a share. So thank you so much, and um, I don't know, to infinity and beyond. The GradCast theme tune has been composed for us by Matthew Becker.